We're continuing our vision series, and uh, that means that we're looking through our values, as you saw before. So last week we did adventurous, and I think we were certainly adventurous last week, weren't we? Witnessed large prop. Remember our wonderful visitors uh, from MacArthur Indigenous Church? So we did adventurous last week. We're doing compassionate this week. Uh, in this little brochure, as I said, you'll find some questions that focus us up on, uh, on this area of compassion. Uh, do you know how God's gifted you to serve? How are you bringing Jesus' love to the least? Who are you sharing a meal with who's yet to know Jesus? We'll return to those at the end, but I'm going to pray and ask that we might see Jesus in a new and a fresh way uh, tonight. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son. Thank you that in him we see your heart. And I pray tonight that through your word and through the presence of your Holy Spirit, that might happen. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, don't forget at the end, question and answer. I will have a go at answering your questions uh, if you ask them. Uh, but let's, let's jump in. I, I hope you don't have a situation like this happen any time, but let's call it a, a situation that is reasonably called an emergency. You come across a situation like this, what is the first, first thing that you do? Look for danger. So Doug's going straight to his first aid, is that right? Does anyone know what we do next? Response. Okay, some of you know Dr. ABC, is that right? Some of you guys done first aid? Just, just before I do all that, probably um, I'm, I'm, I, might, I might get out this magical device that I have and, um, and ask for some help. <laughs> um, I, I, I definitely want to be the first aid person, but I'd love, if I'm, if I'm on the scene, I'm going to do all the first aid, but I'm going to call in the cavalry as well. Is that, is that fair? Uh, because in this day and age... It's extraordinary, isn't it? Wherever I am, if I come across a situation like that, I will place the call, and what number will I call? Triple zero. Just making sure no one out there is about to call 911, okay? Because it's some terrible corruption that's come from America. So we, 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 place, we place the call, and what do we think is going to happen? Well, something's going to happen really quickly. Someone's going to put the lights on, and they're going to ignore the red lights, and they're going to come safely, I'm sure, safely, but to us as soon as they can. If there needs to be a helicopter, a helicopter will come. And the people who arrive will be incredibly skilled to bring care to this emergency situation, won't they? They're amazingly trained professionals, and we are very thankful that they exist. And because of their speed, because of the care, because of the resources that they have with them, we could reasonably expect that the person who is in this terrible situation, balance of probability, will be healed. Now, that is an amazing world to live in. Place the call with my magical handset device and help arrives on the scene. Now, do all your Dr. ABC while you're waiting, please. But it's amazing, right? That is far, far, far from the world of the first century. Have a look with me at the passage that we are going to uh, study tonight. So Mark chapter 5, see where we find it at verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed. So Jesus went with him. Now, now Jairus has heard something about Jesus. Let me set you up in the book of Mark. Mark starts his account of Jesus' life in the north of Israel uh, because Jesus grew up in the town of Nazareth. So it starts there. 
And then our focus shifts from Nazareth up to a place called Capernaum. Capernaum is right up the north of Lake Galilee. Uh, So there's Jesus. And around Capernaum, Jesus has started his ministry. And what he's doing is he's healing, he's casting out demons, and he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. That is a pretty good set of things to be doing. And although they didn't have SMS or Twitter or whatever, word got around. Why? Because people weren't normally casting out demons. Sick people weren't regularly being healed. And the kingdom of God was being proclaimed. So word just started spreading like wildfire. Now in this particular chapter that we're up to, chapter 5, Jesus has just been across to an area called the Gerasenes where he's cast out an unclean spirit. There are three uncleans in chapter 5. There's an unclean spirit, there's a woman who's unclean who we're going to meet, and there's a, a girl who's unclean from death. Jesus, we're told, leaves the scene of the unclean demon, and verse 21 tells us uh, he crossed again over by boat to the other side of the lake. We assume he gets probably back to around Capernaum. That's probably our guess. When he gets there, a man called Jairus turns up, and it says he's a synagogue ruler. And you kind of go, okay, right. What does that mean? Well, he's not a priest. He's not a priest. He's a synagogue ruler. So he's kind of the equivalent to our modern wardens, okay? He's the guy who looks after the building, makes sure everything's sorted out. He would have had respect in the community, but he wasn't a priest. His name's Jairus, and everybody would have thought he was very, very important. Now, if you're really important, one thing that you don't do is you don't throw yourself on the ground in front of somebody else. Even today, I mean, we, we never do this, right? Who, who falls to their knees in front of someone else in our day and age? Does it ever happen? We don't do it, do we? It's a positively humble thing to do. But then, on top of that, this man had all the respect, all the authority in the town. He's on his knees, and he's pleading. What's he pleading for? He's pleading for the life of his daughter. And why is he pleading? Because there aren't medical facilities to go to. There aren't hospitals just around the place up the road. He's pleading because he's heard Jesus might be able to do something for his daughter who is dying. And so what do we see with Jairus? Well, if we look at Jairus, we see somebody who has hope that is greater than his pride. And look, I'm a dad, and um, my daughter is over there, not paying very much attention to me at all at the moment, but that's, that's okay. If she, was, if she was dying, and I thought there was a chance that someone could help her, I, I promise you I would do literally anything in my power. And so I just think it rings true to humanity. Jairus throws himself on the ground in front of Jesus and begs for his daughter's life. That, that just rings true for me. He found a hope, something to cling to, that was much bigger than his pride in front of the rest of the town. But we see in Jesus actually a little miracle here even before everything else starts. And maybe we appreciate it if we think a little bit further about the story. We see Jesus have a care greater than his agenda. Let me explain. When was the last time you were on public transport? Anyone? A while ago? Last week? Okay, great. When you're on public transport, it's going at its own speed, right? There's nothing you can do to change it. And while you're sitting there and you're waiting to get to the end of your journey, I'm always thinking, 
what I'm going to do as soon as we eventually get to the end of the journey. That's just me. It might not be you, but I'm always thinking about the end of the journey. What do I do next? Jesus has just been in a boat, right? And someone else has been doing the rowing. I'm sure of that. I reckon Jesus had an agenda. So he landed. Let's say he landed at Capernaum. He got out of the boat and he's walking along. I don't reckon he was just going, hey, Capernaum. I reckon he got out of the boat and he had an idea of what he wanted to do. And then Jairus throws himself on the ground in front of Jesus. Now, if I'm Jesus, which is everyone's very fortunate that, that I'm not Jesus, but if I'm Jesus, I'm going, hey, Jairus, wonderful to see you. If you can get up above, it's a little bit, a little bit demeaning having you on the ground. Get up, mate. Um, look, I've got a slot sometime this afternoon, about three. I can come back to you about then. Because right now I'm going to do the thing that I was... Are you with me? Jesus must have an agenda... But here's Jairus on the ground in front of him, and Jesus doesn't go, I'll give you a slot. He says, of course I'll go with you. Jesus has a care that is greater than his prior agenda. In fact, I think it's even better than that. I think Jesus' agenda is to care. And I think (laughs) we note here that God didn't invent hurry. God's never in a hurry. God's never in a hurry. And so his son on earth is never in a hurry. He's never hurried. And so, of course, he gives Jairus his full attention. I want you to play a guessing game with me. Uh, I want you to pick what year it is. Uh, The Prime Minister of Australia is John Howard. Blue Healers is just coming to an end on TV. The uh, Broncos have just won a premiership. And Australia is playing well in the World Cup. (laughs) A long time ago. That's correct. That's correct. Okay, is anyone going to guess on what year it was? It's not 99. That's so close. It's 2006. 12 years ago. Do you remember back that far? 12 years ago? Uh, Sorry, Lily? You were non-existent. Okay, stand up for us, Lily. You were up there before. Okay, this is what 11 years looks like. 10 years You're 11, you stand up, Ruby, beautiful. Okay, Lily and Ruby, sit down. Um, Okay, here's the thing, though. That's their whole life. If you can remember John Howard still being Prime Minister, I don't know how many Prime Ministers we've had since then, but a lot, how long ago does 12 years feel? Forever, right? A huge amount of time. I I want you to take that sense of time and read with me these verses that follow in verse 25. A large crowd followed and pressed around, and a woman was there, verse 25, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. It's an extraordinary story. It's a story about healing and faith. But in order to get what it really means, we have to understand something about the world of the Jew. And it's a strange world to us. It's a world about clean and unclean things. That's why I've got the dead oil up there, okay? Clean and unclean things. 
for the Jews, if we go back to Leviticus, we see that God is concerned about them being clean all the way through their lives, depending on what clothing they wear, depending on what they do with their animals, depending on whether they have, um, have issues in their own personal health. And so chapter 15 of Leviticus tells us firstly an issue with a man and how he will be unclean, and then about a woman. And in chapter 15, it speaks about the fact that if a woman has a discharge of blood that proceeds beyond her period, she will be unclean. It goes on to say, not only will she be unclean, but anything she sits on will be unclean, and anyone who touches her or she touches will also be unclean. It then says that the way to be made clean again is when that discharge stops, you have to wait seven days and then go and make a sacrifice of two doves or two pigeons with a priest. If you understand what it says here in verse 31, it says, you must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean. So they will not die in their uncleanness for defiling my dwelling place, which is among them. What did that mean for our woman? She was ostracized. She was separated. She was shut out of society. Everyone who touched her became unclean. She was separated from them. Everything she touched became unclean. No one would have been with her. I think it's fair to speculate whether she in fact was married. I'm not convinced that she would have been. It says here she'd been to doctors, but they had been unable to help her. It says that she grew worse and worse. It it says that she had no money left. She was a social outclass. She was spiritually unclean. She was physically unwell and getting worse. She's so low in the pile of this society that even in the gospel account here, she doesn't get what? A name. If we go back to the story, what do we find with this woman? We find a desperation that is greater than her social responsibility. What do I mean by that? By being in the crowd, anyone who touched her became unclean. She was a liability for everyone around her. It's worth saying, I've got to say this, that is not the case today, just so we're 100% clear, okay? That is not how the world works today. Okay? But it was the world of the, of the Jew. So, so, but what I'm saying is, she said, I'm so desperate for healing, I will put aside all the problems and I'm going for Jesus. I'm all in for Jesus. So she had a desperation that was greater than her social responsibility and a faith that was greater than her fear. It, it's extraordinary. She's so committed that she will pursue Jesus even though she is terrified. And you see what happened? It's so beautiful. We see there that immediately she felt freed. She knew inside herself healing had happened. A personal, private miracle had taken place. How wonderful. Now, I want to tell you about cricket. I tell you about cricket quite a bit, don't I? I was at the SCG one day, okay? And when I'm at the cricket, I like to do my civic duty and help the players by offering useful selections and uh, advice from the sidelines. I'm just helping, right? I've got things to add to aid the players. 
And I'm on the hill, which is when they had a hill uh, in, uh, in the SCG. I'm on the hill, and uh, it's a, it's a, it's a day-night day match. And a guy called Paul Rifle was playing. I don't know if you guys know Paul Rifle. Anyway, he was a particular player. And, um, and there was a, a shot that was tickled down to fine leg. And look, he didn't run, and it, and it ran into the boundary. And I, I just thought I'd offer some helpful commentary from the sideline, right? And so I got my big outdoor voice on. And I said, you reckon if you're playing for Australia, you dive? Helpful, right? Building him up, encouraging. I'm ashamed. But, but it got worse, right? Somehow, as I'm adding, you know, it's, it's loud on the hill. There are lots of people offering lots of advice on, on the hill, right? And so I just kind of go for it. And just as I was about to speak, a supernatural quietness came over the crowd. I am not kidding you. Literally, all other voices fell silent. I do not know how this happened. And so as I offer some helpful advice to Paul Rifle, it's totally silent. And my outdoor voice carries perfectly to Paul Rifle, who, as he bends down to pick the ball out of the gutter, looks up at me. And I got noticed. And it wasn't what I had in mind at all. Here's the interesting thing. I think that feeling, oh gracious, I got noticed, actually has something to help us understand what's happening here. Have a look with me at verse 30. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. She'd been noticed. I, I think there are different kinds of touches, right? There are different kinds of touches. Uh, there's a slap on the back. You'll know that one. There's a handshake. You'll know that one. There's rubbing your feet on the carpet in your school shoes and touching the earlobe of your friend. Anybody? the discharge of static electricity, they notice that touch. Seriously, no one else has done this. Try it at home. It's, it's fantastic. There are different kinds of touches. They touched Jesus, right? But, but I want you to think, what had she touched? I, I know you guys have been paying attention. What had she touched? How many of you guys have got nerves in your clothes? Are you with me? She, she had pushed her way through the crowd and anonymously, quietly touched the edge of his cloak and now Jesus has stopped everyone from walking and he's asking, who touched my clothes? Now the disciples go, this is a ridiculous question. It's like peak hour at town hall, right? Who touched me? Hey, precious boy, everybody is touching you. Like, what are you talking about? Are, are you with me? The disciples just point out the obvious and go, everyone's touching you, this is ridiculous. But Jesus persists. Who touched my clothes? Now, now part of being compassionate is to imagine the life and the thought world of the other. It's really helpful for us. Put yourself in the shoes of the other. And, and I want us to take a moment to put our, ourself in the shoes of this anonymous woman. What she's done in desperation is reach out to Jesus. She's received healing. And now he's stopped everything and he's turned around. I think the first thing she is is afraid. 
What? What? I just, she knows something's happened to her. And now Jesus stopped everything. He's saying, who touched me? She's afraid. Why is she afraid? I'm guessing, totally guessing. I'm just trying to think into her thought world. I wonder if she's thinking, did I steal a blessing from Jesus? Are you with me? I got healed. He didn't know about it. I, I just touched the back of his cloak and I got healed. Did I steal it? Did he not want that to happen? Did I kind of rob him of She's worried, and so she doesn't know what's going to happen next. And so trembling with fear, she falls before him and tells him the whole story. She's totally uncertain as to what will happen next. And I think we see something unbelievably beautiful here. We, we see in verse 34, have a look what Jesus says. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jesus let intimacy be greater than anonymity. I'm sorry for the, 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 the words. But intimacy, he chooses to engage with her. He says, I care for you, daughter. Daughter, you're freed from your suffering. How beautiful. He won't let her be anonymous. He says, I get you. I love you. This isn't an accident. You didn't steal it. Intimacy greater than anonymity. And for her, he believes it's more important for it to be public rather than it to be a private miracle. It's more important for it to be public rather than to be a private miracle. And I think that asks a question for us, why? Why isn't it better that she just goes home healed? Why does he call her out? Why does he make her feel so afraid? I want us to think about this because it really matters. It goes to the heart of compassion. You know, Jesus says to her, uh, go in peace. And, and you know, we're so, <laughs> we're so conditioned by the, the hangover from the 60s, right? Peace is like peace, man. That is not what he is saying. He's not saying peace, go in peace. He's saying shalom. I am speaking wholeness and rightness of life over your, I'm speaking blessing to you. Go in peace is not just see you later. I am recognizing the healing and I'm speaking shalom over you. Secondly, he says to her, you have been freed from your suffering. Be freed. I just love that he speaks to her and says, you are set free from this thing that has bound you. Thirdly, I think he does it because it's a faith lesson for everyone else. He says, your faith has healed you. Hey, everyone, pay attention. Stop right here. We're not going to Jairus' house at the moment. Stop. Her faith healed her. Could there be a lesson for you? He wants to use her as a lesson of faith. Fourthly, and I think incredibly importantly, do you remember how long it was to be restored according to the law in Leviticus? How long did they have to wait? Seven days she had to wait before she was going to be clean. And then on the eighth day, she had to go and offer sacrifices with the priest. And so Jesus just compresses all that down and says, you're healed. Do you see that? He just collapses it all down and short circuits this restoration process. But because of that, he does something which I think is the most profoundly beautiful part of this story and makes me love Jesus every time I read it. The reason he calls her out is to restore her to her community. See, her suffering was private and personal. If you're freed from your flow of blood, 
you're healed, but no one will know, will they? And so she's still the unclean woman, even though the miracle has happened. So what does Jesus do? She, he calls her out. He says, daughter, I love you. Daughter, be freed from your suffering. Daughter, go in peace. And in doing so, he restores her to a whole community. This is not the untouchable lady anymore. She is now your sister. Hug her, embrace her, love her. Why does he call her out? Because this is compassion. Jesus has been showing respect and care to the greatest guy in their society, the synagogue ruler. He gets interrupted by a woman who's the least and he loves her. Do you know this bloke? Costa. Okay, somebody's on to Costa. So you're watching Gardening Australia and you're learning about your perennials and what to be planting at this period of time. Fantastic, important information. And then this crashes in, breaking news, okay? Is what is about to follow good or bad? It's always bad. They're not breaking news to tell you a puppy was found today. Somebody had a birthday and they got cupcakes. That's not why they do the breaking news thing. And look, in the middle of this wonderful faith lesson, in the, in the middle of the restoration of this beautiful woman, breaking news. Ha- have a look with me at verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? It, it couldn't get worse for Jairus, could it? Let's imagine ourselves in his place. Remember, compassion is imagining ourselves in the shoes of others. Here's this man who the one hope he had for his daughter was Jesus. He was coming to her house and anonymous woman got in the way. How would he feel about the delay? I wonder, I'm just totally speculating into this space, would he be angry? Did we have to stop for her? Would he be angry? And now she's dead. The, the, the guys in the, in the thing tell you what the, the, everybody expected. You, you can be healed from soreness. You can be healed from sickness. You can't be healed from death. She's dead. She's gone. There's nothing left to do. And so Jairus is now in this place of despair. Don't, don't bother the teacher anymore. It's a wash. It's all, it's all gone. Can you imagine his feeling? And then Jesus overhears what they said, and he told him, oh, it's not from 2 Corinthians 5.17, incidentally, but overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Just believe. Now, guys, it's not a hallmark card. Jesus really wants him to do this. Do you think that would be easy or hard? Don't be afraid, just believe. Easy or hard? got to be hard, doesn't it? And Jesus is saying, no, 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 it's not as hard as you think. This woman who's now restored to you, she's really important to the story. I've been helping you. I want you to examine what just happened. By faith, she was healed. Don't be afraid, just what? Believe. She believed and it saved her. What I want you to do is examine what just happened and now I want you to extrapolate. Is that word too hard? What, what, build from this forward. Just It was a run of ease for me, so forgive me. I was excited about the ease, okay? He says, look, you, you see what happened with this lady. Build on what you know and think, could it happen again? 
Build from what you know. Could it happen again? Extrapolate. And then he says, I want you to entrust your daughter to me, your dead daughter. You've seen faith heal. I'm asking you to trust me. Come for a walk with me to your dead daughter. It's an extraordinary challenge, but it isn't without foundation. It isn't without foundation. And we know he goes and he heals her, and it's extraordinary. It's a resurrection miracle. But how does this help us? I want to offer you a couple of reflections from this story. Ones that I I think about every time I teach this. I, I do this every time I run Jesus for the Curious, and I love it every single time. Watching Jesus, we learn that he cares about all, the great and the small. Anonymous woman, it's so terrible to have to call her that, couldn't have been less in society. Jairus couldn't have been greater, and Jesus has time for both. Jesus cares about all. Jesus is never hurried around need. I'm hurried around need. Jesus is never hurried around need. I'm so convicted about this. He never can't fit it in. He's always got time for need. Jesus has the power to set free from suffering, real change. An extraordinary hope is held out in Jesus. He has the power to set us free from suffering, and he always welcomes the faithful and the fearful. How could you not love Jesus? But it raises questions for us, doesn't it? When we hear stories about healing, it raises questions for us because the the question that we want to ask is, what if I've prayed? What if I've prayed for someone that I love? What if I'm praying for someone that I love? And if you've suffered loss, you've prayed and it hasn't been answered according to your will, I want to remind you of this extraordinary passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 where we're reminded, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. God never wastes our life experience. He is always the God of comfort and the Father of compassion. And so in your loss, turn to our great God, and if you're praying persevere in patience. If you've got someone that you're praying for, persevere in patience. Keep praying for them. What about if you feel like, I don't have enough faith? Do you know this one? We're talking about healing, and the answer is, I don't have enough faith. And I want to tell you that in chapter 2 of Mark's gospel, we have a story of four friends and a paralytic. You know the story, don't you? They dig a hole through the roof over Jesus and lower their friend down. And as he's being lowered down in front of Jesus, here's the extraordinary news. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, your sins are forgiven. Guys, if you don't have enough faith, I pray that in the circle of community here at New Life, you might have four friends who will stand with you, who have the faith that you can't have. You can't be a solo Christian, okay? It's one in community. If there will be four good friends who would carry the end of the cloak for you, God will see your faith, the faith of those who are standing around you, your four faithful friends. So I would say to you, find four good friends and be four good friends. Yes? 
And if you think I can't have faith because I'm not sure whether God cares about me anymore, look at Jesus here. Re-examine your welcome. You are welcome to come to the Father. He will never turn you away. We see it in his son. What if I have no one in my life to pray for like this? Well, I'd say build your faith now because you'll need it later. Uh, God will give you opportunities to pray into this space by the lessons you've learned tonight. You'll have opportunities to demonstrate this stuff. Let me finish by a couple of applications using the questions that are in the, in the, in the brochure. Um, we want to be, be people who are living Jesus' call to love. And so how might we show Jesus' love to the least? What if we take the heart of Jesus here and we want to show love to the least? I, I want to encourage you tonight, get on board with IJM as a practical way to show this heart of compassion, the heart that sees the least and loves them. They're amazing. Go, go check out the website. Who are you eating with who's yet to know Jesus? If you're at the other end of the social spectrum, and everyone here in Oran Park is at the other end of that social spectrum, go eat with some people and share your life. Start eating with those who don't know Jesus. It'll be an amazing way to start showing the love of God because when you're in community and they're suffering, they'll turn to you because you have real relationship. And thirdly, I want to encourage you to serve because that's the way that we make great relationships together. That's the way you'll find your four friends, when we've been shoulder to shoulder in ministry together. Our partnership course, it runs once a term. We'd love you to sign up and, uh, and to serve there. In 2019, you might have heard me say, we're going to try and create more space in our church calendar so that we can go deeper with Jesus, deeper with others, so that we can be a church that is compassionate in this community. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are a great God. And whenever we're unsure of what your heart is like, we look to your son and find their immense compassion, power to change what seems beyond hope, and patience that is never in a hurry. Help us to echo your heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Uh, Do you have any questions, Uh, things that you want to follow up on, things that I might have missed? said or that you didn't hear me properly, things to do with the topic that we've been looking at tonight. Yeah, Carrie, got a question. Uh, I'll run it down and hand it to Michael, who will hand it to you. Ask away. A bit of a hypothetical, and you probably won't know, because we don't know until we meet Jesus, but if Jesus knows everything and he gets interrupted and he holds off going to see the daughter who's dying, Yes. does he really actually know that? And it's all part of his plan to uh, teach them about faith and that he can do mighty things. Do you know what I mean? Like, is it just... I think it's a great question, Kara. Um, we see the same thing with, uh, with John chapter 11, don't we? Remember Lazarus is dying? Do you remember the story of Lazarus? And Jesus actually delays going for three days. When he turns up, everyone says, hey... If you'd come earlier, you would have saved my brother's life. And we go, hey, Jesus, don't you know everything? And he says, actually, I've done this so that glory will go to God. It isn't wasted time. It's actually so that glory will go to God. So, Carrie, long answer. I think Jesus is aware of what's going on, and he knows that nothing is wasted in God's economy. And so, yeah, I think he takes the delay, and he will use it to build Jairus' faith so that he might be ready when his daughter dies to trust him so that he might raise her. So, yeah, the the trouble for us is what happens if you get me today and I'm hanging out for Jesus 
to heal me or my friend and we got stopped with something else. I think we just run out of patience and we say God doesn't love me, don't we? God, it didn't happen according to my time schedule. You've let me down. And I think the answer is trust me. Not easy, not, but trust me. So the long answer to the question, I, I think, uh, Jesus says in um, uh, John chapter uh, 11, verse 40, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? Keep believing. Yeah. Is that helpful? Okay. Isaac, have you got a question, bud? Yeah, great. Um, when the girl was sick um, and she touched Jesus, didn't Jesus um, already know that she touched um, that she touched him? Yeah, why did she ask who touched me? Yeah, so Jesus knew. He knew power had gone out from him. I think he actually knew who the woman was. And it's a bit like, um, I don't know if you guys have heard, uh, when Adam and Eve sin, God says to Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, where are you? And, and some people go, oh, God isn't omniscient. He didn't know where Adam and Eve were in the garden, right? That, that's not the point. The point is to say, you are hiding and I need you to present yourself. Not that God didn't know. So Isaac, the answer to the question is, God... Jesus, sorry, wanted to meet the woman so that he could tell her he loved her face to face so that he, he didn't just have an interaction where she touched his clothes and then ran away. He wanted to say to her, no, stop. I care about you. Is that okay? So that's why. I think he did know who it was and that's why. And you guys saw in the sermon, it was an awesome miracle restoring her to community as well. How brilliant. Are there other questions? Great. Guys, can I just tell you, the heart of Jesus, I, I just love here. And, and I want to tell you, this is our God. You know, we, we get all sorts of bad media going on at the moment. There's all sorts of reasons to think a Christian's all a bunch of, you know, whatever we want to say at the moment. Keep looking to Jesus. He's amazing. No one else has a Jesus like this. The one who heals Jairus' daughter and restores the life of this, this woman I just I fall in love with Jesus every time I look at this story, and I want you to hang on to him. Keep meeting Jesus in his word. He's worth it. He's worth you following. Oh, I better stop. I'm going to sit down. Thanks, thanks, guys. Hand it back to you, Annabelle.